Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, April 16, 2020. Hope everyone's staying safe out there. Gino Bacola here alongside Mike Avedere, like you get every Thursday with us. And Mike, uh, a couple weeks out from the uh, NFL draft now, but unfortunately, we're kind of seeing the virus hit everyone. Uh, just uh, a few minutes ago, I guess it was about an hour ago, Denver Broncos Pro Bowl linebacker Von Miller has tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, so he's just been hanging out. He got a little cough. He had asthma. He, so he started getting a cough. So that's the thing um, that we've obviously heard uh, with, with the coronavirus, which is a little scary, is that if you're someone who has asthma or uh, pre-existing conditions, someone, for example, like me, who uh, had cancer, you are even more prone to getting this. So it's, you know, we saw um, Carl Anthony Towns' mom uh, at only 58 years old pass away recently. So it's very sad when we really can see it in front of us, right? It's one thing to look at numbers and statistics and stuff like that. But when you actually can put names to the people that are starting to, that are suffering, or if, when there are people that are your friends and your family that are impacted, it kind of hits home a little different. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, if it hasn't directly impacted you, you know, in terms of uh, immediate family or your friends, then uh, yeah, once once it's a name uh, that's recognizable, maybe an actor or a ball player that you root for or root against on the playing field, and then you hear about something like this, then it really kind of uh, gives it a more real feel to it. Absolutely, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Von Miller, his uh, agent Joby Branion, confirmed that he does have the uh, virus. Uh, I'm of the mentality, though, that if you're younger, healthier, and in fantastic shape and don't have any pre-existing conditions, then you should probably come out of it just fine. Uh, he is all of those things outside of being asthmatic, uh, which I share with him, although I kind of outgrown it. I was born with it, and it was really bad hospitalization and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. Um, luckily for me, my father's a physician, so I, uh, I'd be in my bed with IV and, and all that kind of stuff brings back rough memories. But, um, uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, I personally haven't had anybody that's been afflicted with this. And I hope that I, that I don't hear about anybody that I know. And hopefully for America, this kind of settles down a little bit and, uh, kind of seeing some positive, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and, uh, bringing that to sports, I think that MLB is going to be right around the corner here. I just get this feeling that they really want to do it and that they're going to roll something out. I'd be very surprised, you know, by June 1st, we weren't seeing ball games. I think, or at that, least training for a ball. Yeah, game. I think that between middle, I think that like the good, the good um, range is like mid-May to mid-June because I just I think that that one thing out there that as soon as it is easier for us to get testing i think that we'll be we'll be back to having sports now i don't think that means we're going to have sports with fans for still for a long time in a lot of different places but i do think that once you or i this is you know basic stuff that we've been talking about for a few weeks but once you and i or anyone can go get the test quickly 
and it's not an issue of like tests backed up and we don't have enough to give people, then I think that they'll be playing games because then what they'll do is they'll have the opportunity to test everyone every day. And it's not like they're stealing tests from, you know, the other, the, the rest of the world who's not able to get tested. So I think that's the one major factor, I think more so than anything, because then that gives them the opportunity to boom. Like we said, they can really, really monitor everything going on in a, in an isolated situation. Yeah, they really can, especially with the uh, newest uh, technology that's been implemented into these tests. Not sure if you've seen it, Gino, but they have. I'm sure you've seen some of the uh, video, you know, on television of the test where you take the nasal swab and it goes all the way yeah. to the back here, almost Not into pleasant. your brain. Well, the newest test is literally just uh, twirl it. You know, it's called that in each nostril for a quick second. You don't even have to go that far up. You insert it into a machine, and it gives you the result within 15 minutes. And that's the type of thing that MLB is looking at utilizing. In fact, it didn't get a lot of publicity, but I saw the press release. You could probably uh, Google it. And within the last 48 hours, MLB is uh, involved in the testing protocols for this. I think there's 2,000 between players, staffers, or related somehow, some way to Major League Baseball that's involved with a testing platform on a uh, study-type basis. So, um, very interesting stuff. I encourage everybody to look at it, uh, check that out. I'll send out a, a link here, maybe during the commercial break, if anybody wants to take a look at that. Very impressive that MLB is going, you know, coming up to the plate, uh, figuratively, of course, in helping out determine whether this, this testing is accurate or whatnot. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm with you. It's just it's it seems so weird to have like, like we're in California and California's done a really good job of of um, kind of uh, flattening the curve a little bit, right? They've done a good job of uh, of making sure this thing didn't get really out of hand in California. And it's weird when you look across the country and you see New York because you know like this is such a weird thing. And and I think you pointed on this last week. It's so weird where it's in like a like a state by state, territory by territory thing that some places are much more affected than this than others. And that's what what makes it so weird is like we're having these conversations on one side of the the world or, or the, the nation about, you know, things starting to get back to to normal. And then you look to a place like New York where things really are not going well. It's it, it is just kind of like unlike anything that we've ever experienced. It's really bizarre. Yeah, and I think it's that's obviously going to come into play as we start talking about these seasons and where the games are going to be playing. And you mentioned California. California is a place that, for the population that we have, it's uh, kind of remarkable that we. It's incredible. The they did a great job. We got ahead of this. Like you know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it I mean, and a lot of people are are like you know, I, I just don't think you need to be. In this situation, I don't know what good it does you to be an extremist on either side, right? Like, I just don't know what good it is to be on one side calling people stupid or, like, overcautious or on the other side calling people, you know, like, it just, you got to kind of be somewhere in the middle here because, you know, now everyone starts to say, well, well, well oh, look, see, we didn't have to do all this stuff. <laughs> well, the, the obvious counter to that is California's in good shape because it took precautions, 
Yeah. Because, because it, <laughs> it took the early precautions. If they didn't, we wouldn't be in this good of shape. So yeah. it's just one of those things where it's like, I hate that it's automatically becomes a fight, you know, a lot of the time when you discuss this with people because people seem like they're on one side of the fence or the other. Where like, this does, it doesn't really make sense to me. This seems like something where you should kind of just be in, in the middle here, you know? Absolutely. And it's kind of funny that you say that, Gino, because I remember. You know, over time, I've kind of mentioned to you, you know, um, that I've been shying away from discussing politics of any nature on, like, social media and Twitter. And uh, I was actually kind of pretty good about that for the longest time. But probably in the last, I don't know, 30, 60 days, something has kind of changed in my mind. Maybe it's because there's not a lot, as much sports to, to tweet about. But I've been engaged in some political banter back and forth. I've really tried to limited as much as possible but there's just some things that i read or see and it's absolutely just a crock of you know what but most of the time i'm tweeting exactly what you're talking about which is let's all respect each other's opinions let's have respect for an opposing point of view the the thing that's really funny to me gino is this and typically speaking you're talking about leftists and rightists right Mm -hmm. liberals conservatives either for Trump or against Trump. There's not a lot of in-between gray area, middle ground. You're either on this side or on that side. And and if you're not with us, then you're against us and we don't want you. That's kind of been um, the mentality that that we're all seeing out there. And I'm trying to kind of make it seem like it is possible to respect both sides and to see both sides of the issue and – I feel like it's gotten some decent support. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of my tweets or whatnot. Um, But the funny thing is this. The ones that have a stronger leaning one way or another, oh, my God. It's getting, like, likes and tweets like like crazy. And I'm, like, you know, 20 plus, 30 plus, that type of thing. And it's, like, nobody wants neutral. No, no. it's it's, You know, it's, like, the ones where I'm, like, kind of, like, let's say, defending Trump on something. You have all the right people that are like, you know, yeah, absolutely. I stand by so and so, and and you I know. I don't know when that started. It it wasn't. I don't know, it, man. It's not always been this way. You know what I mean? Like it. it um, no, not at all. And it and it is more than it's more than even political too, because like I mean, for example, a lot of the stuff that we watch, like on sports, for and, and I don't know if this is like a social media thing or it, or because like there's more basic information that's just kind of out there for all of us now than there ever was before you know so like i mean we don't on espn they don't show like highlights even anymore you know like espn sports center just used to be highlights but for most people they find the highlights on on uh, twitter or whatever their instagram or you know whatever they're looking at real quick and and even all the espn and fox sports shows in the programming a lot of the time like it's so hot takey it's so hot, takey, and a fight, and a yell, and a scream, which is fine. And if 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 like you and I have had plenty of you know heated conversations on here, but but it comes organically when it's a topic that you and I are passionately on opposite sides about, right? It's not like you and I discuss before every show, like okay, hey Mike, you're on that side, I'm on this side, we're gonna debate. You know, it's just. It, it's not authentic. It's not real. You're not always arguing and fighting about everything, and it just seems like I don't know when when it happened this way. But it, it's it, it's like it's it's like a microcosm of the entire more, world. Yeah, look, it's even more disingenuous to me when I 
look, like I said, you have people on the left, you have people on the right. You have liberals, you have conservatives. You have for Trump, you have against Trump. And it seems like there's a playbook. And so let's just say on the left, and for our listeners out there, we'll, we'll get off the political talk shortly here. <laughs> but you have people on the left, let's just say. And if you're on the left, then you have to be for abortion, uh, abortion, women's rights, uh, against abor- uh, for abortion, for women's rights, for Im- Im- uh, illegal immigrants to be able to have benefits here in the United States, to shelter them, to be uh, for the environment, so on and so forth, right? And on the right, you have your playbook. And, and it's funny to me because if you're a liberal, but then you say that you are against abortion, as an example, you get beat up. Like, you're not one of us. You're not a true Democrat. You're not a liberal. Get out of here. Like, do we have to be so programmed like sheep to follow a certain political agenda? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And it, and it's really a hostile environment. Like, if you're not programmed the exact same way, is it even possible for everybody to agree on every no, issue? No, hell no. It's not. Hell so no. I don't understand it. Like, just watch any of these news channels, you know, Fox News, CNN, any of the biggies. It- and you're either on the right or on the left. You believe in everything on the right. You believe. How about how about like a Republican saying, you know, I I support Trump, but he messed up in this area, or he shouldn't nope, have said you get, that. You just get blasted. You okay? Get how about how about a, exactly? How about how about a Democrat saying, you know what? Trump we want Biden to win. You get blasted. Well, we give him, we're give, giving Trump props to the job he's done uh, since March first. He's done an exceptional job. So you, you they couldn't. Yeah, and, and we're not. And, you, dare to. and this is why I hate I, I hate politics, and why I don't ever get into specifics. And the discussion that we're having isn't even like a specific about what you believe in. It's just a general how it's kind of crept into like the like crept down from politics to everything else, right? Like everything now has become so political. Just when you argue with someone, it, it's immediate. Like you said, you know, like I, I'm fine. I love having debates with people online. Some some of the people that I are like follow and interact with the most online are people that it all started over a, a, a like a fight, you know, not a, like a fight, but just a, sure, a battle sure. over, uh, over different sides of something, you know? Um, but nowadays it becomes like very quickly. And I, I, I get into this too. It's like, you look up and then you're, you're arguing with someone and then immediately you see, and it's like, they're on the opposite political side. And then it, it becomes, it goes right into politics. And that's why I hate, I hate the, the politics and stuff because I would, I would literally be, like I would land myself right smack in the middle. Honestly, I would like, that's the kind of person that I am. Like I would not like, you know, I think my family growing up was always like a, like a registered Republican family. But, but for me, I'm like smack in the middle. I, I like have issues that, that I like on both sides and I'm, I don't really get into politics a whole lot. So I hate that everything has become so divisive because I've steered clear of politics for this reason, because it becomes so divisive. And now everything like, gets back to that you can't you know um silly like andrew and and uh darren zocali and i were like recapping an old wrestlemania on one of my shows last week you know and then it, somebody responded and was like getting into a big political thing with darren about how like this isn't the right time for that you know and it was like it became this huge poli- political thing about a couple of guys just trying to recap an old wrestling show well, you know and it's just like and, and that and that right there is 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 the perfect segue to sports and why we're talking about this right now is because now it is infiltrating into the sports world it now is about 
you have one side saying start the economy, get open it up, get it mm-hmm. back going again. And the other side saying absolutely not. And obviously, because Trump is saying start the economy, the other side is like wanting to go opposite of whatever Trump says. And so part of opening up the economy is sports. Is sports. And they're so it's on- really funny when you see like a lot of these journalists and many, you know, I've got nice relationships with some even come on our show and talk with us. You could see their political leanings because a sports fan wants opening day to be tomorrow. Right. But I'm seeing like a lot of these like baseball writers, for example, the ones that are on the right are like, this plan could work. <laughs> and the ones on the left are like, this Hell, plan is a disaster. Are you me? There's no yeah, way this works. There's, and there's no, no in between. And there's you know, no in between at all. Here's the big problem that we're going to have. I already mentioned this last week and I think maybe even the week before, but it's become it's it's becoming more clear, more into focus as each week passes which is that California is going to take a very strong position about when to open things back up as it relates to gatherings, okay? So even if they ease into opening the business channels back up again, we're going to have a problem in terms of the NFL, MLB, or whatever, in terms of being able to host games in California uh, our governor, Gavin Newsom, just yesterday said that expect no social gatherings, concerts, ball games, you know, UCLA games, USC games, you name it, until 2021. Next year. Yeah. So, uh, and I believe that he will stick to that. I, I don't see any reason why he'll deviate from that. Now, the NFL is going full force ahead. They're releasing their, the uh, season schedule in May. Um, they better have a plan B because I don't think the Niners, Chargers, or Rams are going to be hosting games here. So what do you do then? When, and New York is just in such a bad situation, you know, unless, like I was telling Rick last week, unless Jersey comes, steps in and says, well, we're really not in New York, so Jets and Giants can play here at the Meadowlands, um, then you're going to have a problem with New York. And I think that tri-state area is pretty much on the same game plan, right? So like Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. If it's no games in New York, it's going to be no games in New Jersey or Connecticut. So what are we going to do then? What are we going to do when you have, you know, five of the teams in the league that can't play home games? Or at least not in front of fans. Do you still host those games, but just do those without fans? That might be the least chaotic plan to go with. You know what I mean? And we're going to get set to take a, a break in, in, in just a second. And I think I'm trying to pull it up. I got. I'm going to find it somewhere. There's. Well, why do we take a commercial break now? Yeah, that's a good idea because we'll there's something related to you know like the NFL versus college football and how the NFL it would be more, much more likely to play without fans and willing to play without fans than college. Oh yeah, who's, that's for sure. Who's absolutely needs the fans? That's uh, yeah. Darren Ravel actually. Uh, tweeted something about that, that. that's what i was looking way, i was looking yeah, for that exactly yeah, yeah. It, it actually got hammered um statistically speaking uh, people are saying it was very inaccurate and uh you know there's no citations for that but let's uh pick up there after the first commercial break stay with us very hot topic very divisive but gino and i will sort it all out stay with us
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show talking about the, uh, the different world that we are living in now. But there is uh, some hope as we... We see some sports that are uh, at least attempting to discuss when they're going to uh, be coming back. And, hey, Mike, I mean, we got a, an NFL draft on the horizon, too, man. There's still a lot to, to dig into there with that NFL draft. With I mean, if you're someone who's uh, going to be covering the draft or looking to um, uh, break down the draft, or if, even just for your own fun, if you want to follow along and have a lot of information, I mean, just going through that NFL draft Bible, is there anything like that? Man, the NFL draft Bible is, and this is the honest goodness truth, it's not because of our relationship with the guys over there, with my personal relationship with Rick Saratella spanning, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years, whatever it is. Um, it is about as comprehensive as you'll see. Comparable to an NFL scout notes like legitimately comparable. The best report that I'd ever seen as an agent, which was even more comprehensive than an NFL scouts, Gino was a report that used to be called the Shanka report. And I think Mr. Shanka is kind of on the, uh, you know, sunset side of his career. I think he's on Twitter though, Dan Shanka. And, um, Man, this report was unbelievable. And I would get an advanced copy of it, or I'd get a copy of it from him. NFL scouts were asking for copies from him. He had all this insight, even down to, like in the report, it'll say, like, um, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane, likes bar fights, backs down, uh, incident reported in... September of 
2018, he threw ice at a cheerleader. I mean, it incorporated so much character stuff. It was it was unbelievable. I'd say the NFL Draft Bible is pretty close to being comparable to that, maybe without so much emphasis on like the the character stuff and uh, off field type issues. That's my take on, on on the information that the NFL Draft Bible provides. And if anybody's interested, you know, we could send you guys links to any of their. I mean, it's work. Un- it's unbelievable when you when you dig in and you really see how much is it. So I guess we're, we're we've got okay. So yeah, the, what basically what we we had said, and this is related to the NFLs we had, and whatever the the specific numbers are, but the ticket revenue for college football is a much bigger part of college football than it is for the NFL, where it's a much smaller percentage. So they're basically saying that like you know college football stadiums are constantly packed. There were NFL stadiums that were over the last couple of years, like getting attendance has been a problem for the oh, NFL. Yeah. Oh, attendance yeah. has been a problem in a lot Oakland. of different places. And that's yeah. not really a problem in, in most college places. Like even USC, when their attendance is down, like they're still packing what would be an NFL stadium, you know, it's it, it, at USC at the Coliseum. Sure, so well, consider this, look, the NFL, we know is a multi-billion dollar industry. The NFL has eight home games to capitalize on during the regular season, two in the preseason, maybe three, and um, hopefully for some teams hosting some playoff games, right? So we're talking about anywhere from, you know, 10 to 30, uh, I guess 10 to 12 games as a maximum, okay? So that's not a lot of games. Even though the tickets aren't necessarily cheap and you're multiplying it by, you know, 55,000, 60,000, whatever the stadium capacity is, the tickets are not a huge component of the NFL's billion-dollar formula. Just keep in mind, there's the, the NFL tickets, which they get a piece of. But beyond that, just the rights to be able to show the games for CBS and NBC and ESPN and Fox is... I have the numbers because I have all the salary cap information, uh, but I, I'm not remembering exactly. But it's huge. It's a huge number. Or you know, uh, this this next deal is even going to be more outrageously huge. Um, people buy jerseys online. They buy uh, an ability to watch all the games online. Streaming services, merchandising. I could go on and on and on about how many different revenue channels the NFL has. Can't really say the same for college. In your locale, like in Alabama, they probably sell a lot of Alabama ball caps and maybe some tank tops and and that type of merchandising. But it's not really a nationwide type thing. No. You know, so you really are limited to your locale. You're limited to what you fill in your stadium and what you sell in your stadium and in your local sporting goods store. That's pretty much a majority of what you're getting. Same thing, by the way, in college basketball, where maybe a handful of teams get like a lot of big support, um, but you know the March Madness is where they divide a lot of their revenues. So even though it's, I said the same thing, I, I, let me rephrase that. Uh, it's the same thing in that they're very limited in their revenue sources. Right, college basketball, March Madness is in the conference tournaments. That's where they're going to get a bulk yep. of their money. And so these uh, these college sports are uh, they're up against it, man. 
And um, I, I have a little bit of insight from somebody that we mutually know, by the way, Gino, that I happen to have an offline conversation with. Uh, he's got a brother that's a head coach, uh, if you know what I mean. He's also a big horse racing guy. Um, he, he actually was, was uh, you know, giving me some insight about what's going to happen if these schools continue to drop their programs. The conversation started because University of Cincinnati dropped their soccer program, men's soccer program, if you can believe that. And I'm kind of like, man, out of all the 19 sports that they've got, that was the one that they picked? Though they have like rowing or something that they would get rid of before that. But the problem is now that the ball got rolling with that, you're going to see a lot of women's sports get axed completely. And I think it's going to get to a point where they say the hell with Title IX to the extent where people are going to pull out of the NCAA. Teams, uh, universities are going to pull out of the NCAA. That's the bigger picture that we're talking about here. And you kind of alluded to the separation when you're talking about USC. So if these programs are on their own anyways in terms of how they make their money, then you're going to have a big problem with collegiate sports, amateur sports in general. Because Notre Dame can sustain itself. USC can sustain itself. uh, Idaho State cannot. Wyoming cannot. Nevada State cannot. So on and so forth. Wake Forest cannot. NC State cannot. You see what I'm saying? So you're going to have some big issues in college sports. It's not going to be what we know it to be, Gino. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we this this is all, you know, new. This, there's no, that's what's crazy is this, there's no precedent, right? There's no law. There's no, like, going back to, uh, to Murphy v. Roe, you know, whatever, like, when this happened. Or, oh, yeah, when this happened uh, 30 years ago and we, we stopped all the leagues and everything started back up. Like, we don't have anything to go back on with this. Everything is going to be brand new. It's all going to be brand new. And that starts next week, Mike, with the NFL draft when they're going to be doing it virtually for yeah, the first time. Exactly. You know, right. and, I mean, which I, I love that they're going through with it. And I think you made a good point when we were talking about this last week a little bit is that this isn't like something that they've only been working on for the last three weeks. This is something that you have a staff and a scouting department that's doing this all year. That's getting you all set up for this all year while your NFL team is playing. You have another group of people that are looking at your prospects that are scouting college that are, you know, that are looking around to try to fill your needs or to look for some of the best players that are available. So of of, of anything that was affected, it feels like there, you mentioned this too. There was not a whole lot more that would have been been done except instead of meeting someone on a Skype or a Zoom session, you're meeting them face-to-face, which is fine. And then, and then there are obviously some physicals. Teams are not going to be able to get a lot of the physicals like up-to-date with some certain players, especially a player like Tua who could make things interesting. But for the most part, most of these teams had done their scouting, had done everything. By the time they left the the combine, it just came down to, okay, now you and I have to have a discussion and see who we like and how we rate and stack everybody. Yeah, I'll tell you where where it's going to suffer the most is with the undrafted free agents and the late rounders. Yes. Yeah. The reason I say that is because everything that you're saying is so on point and very accurate all the way through the NFL combine, but they did not conduct the pro days. Mm-hmm. And the pro days are where, you know, because you don't have to be a combine invitee to get drafted. 
on the flip side, you could not get an invitation to the combine and get drafted. You could just get drafted out of a pro day. Uh, there's no rules in, in terms of governing that. So where you're going to get a lot of information is going to be at your pro days. That's when you make your final sweep through all the universities and check out all the guys that were not invited to the combine. There's Keep in mind, there's about 3,000 college seniors and draft-eligible underclassmen, you know, mostly juniors, that are eligible for the draft. Only 250 get invited to the combine. So that's 2,750 more guys that you got to still scout. And sure, they have film on everybody, and they have their notes on everybody, and they've gone to all the universities. Every single one's been covered. But what you see in March is pretty big at these pro days because, A, you see if they're healthy and still in good shape. You can't not have seen somebody since November and be able to make a really good decision on them. Yep. You know, well, and, uh, and, 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 and this, as you mentioned, this impacts the much lesser known players more, right? Yes. Because oh, yeah. the less we know about them, the players that were in smaller schools, the players that Correct. aren't getting Correct. discussed all over the place. Like those are the players where the, it really hurts them. No, no, no doubt about it. But even I'll tell you what, man, even for some of the bigger programs, uh, you know, you, you kind of want to see like the, the UCLA, uh, you know, linebacker that, you know, didn't participate in, in a uh, uh, postseason game, in a bowl game, maybe didn't even um, go to a college all-star game because those are limited to seniors and you didn't get to see the juniors, uh, you know, since the last game of the season back in November. So even some of the bigger programs, the guys that didn't get that showcased, you still want to be able to see them. And they didn't get an opportunity to do that. And so, yes, it's not going to be the bigger names that we're talking about here. Even though with some of those guys, you still want to be able to see them one more time, see what their demeanor is like. Are they a yes, sir, no, sir type person? You know, because of the pro days, you do get an opportunity to chit chat with them. Um, you, you know, it just one more opportunity to be able to kind of see the goods, if you will. And, Gino, how many undrafted players have we seen make a really, really big impact at the NFL level? Oh, it happens tons every year. I would say that if you don't have the depth on your roster that's been put together via undrafted free agency, uh, you're going to have a hard time winning a lot of ball games at the NFL level. And by the way, it's worth reminding people and you guys can look this up. The NFL draft used to be 14, 15 rounds back in the day. It wasn't that long ago. We're talking about the 80s. I'm not talking about like the 30s and 40s. Talk about the early 80s even. And they only switched to the seven-round format after ESPN kind of got involved. And it was like, you know what? TV it's not really that a TV, TV thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not that TV friendly to go that many rounds. So they end up chopping it. So I always call guys, uh, you know, when I've represented guys and they've asked me, where do I grade? I'm like, well... Look, you're going to be playing in the NFL, but you grade out as an eighth rounder. Eighth yeah. rounder? There's no eighth round. Well, and then I explained it to them. And I'm like, there's no shame in it. If anything, that's more reason to go in determined and to show that head coach or your position coach why they made a mistake taking that guy from LSU in the first round when you're just as good as them. And you're going to be coming out of the eighth round or undrafted free agency. 
And a lot of times it happens, man. And teams are kind of like, man, I can't believe that we spent that much money on a first-round quarterback. Great example is, you know, uh, Gabbard wasn't taken that long ago in Jacksonville. I mean, we then you have like, a guy like Minshew come in there and actually step in as a rookie and have tremendous success. We see it in hard knocks every year, right? Every Every year in Hard Knocks, there's at least one or two on whoever's team it is in Hard Knocks that we see these players that are just as good trying to make the team, you know, and the only reason why they don't a lot of time is like politics because they, they, they you know, they're paying somebody, teams, a big they're paying somebody more. They've invested more into somebody exactly. else, you know, and exactly. that's honestly a lot of teams, by the way, Gino, are filling their uh, running back position or positions, several guys through undrafted free agency. I mean, in fact, there's is, some teams that that is their entire focus. The uh, Texans are one of those teams. They've been one of those teams. That doesn't mean they've never, you know, drafted a running back. But for the most part, and even their most prominent running back in their short history is uh, Arian Foster, who was an undrafted free agent out of Tennessee. And so a lot of these teams have a philosophy. The Packers, typically, I know they took some linemen last year, but typically speaking, the Green Bay Packers developed undrafted free agents and get them to become starters as their uh, offensive linemen. So each team kind of has a niche and a philosophy as to how to bring somebody up and to groom them. So uh, it's not going to get a lot of fanfare uh, come next week, but it's going to be huge in the teams that have the best intel, the guys that are signed by teams who traditionally do a good job with this Seahawks come to mind. They're excellent at plucking undrafted free agents. Um, those are the teams that are going to do well this year. Yeah, and you were mentioning running backs. The over-under on running backs taken in the first round this year, 0.5. Yeah. That's the, that's the, I mean, there may, there may not be one. There will probably be one or two because the, some of the good teams towards the end of the first round that don't need a whole lot can, can take a swing on someone that they really like because it's not – like it's not like wasting a pick down sure, there, you know, at that sure. point. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a shock to see no running backs go, and, and at the very most, like two to three, maybe at the very end. But it's just like you can get quality players, quality backs to fill in. Um, it was like crazy to see Christian McCaffrey get a sixteen million dollar contract this year and and become the highest pay uh, just just last week in extension and become the highest paid per year running back. So we're getting set for our final break. When we return from the break, I'm going to ask you about the Miami Dolphins heading into this draft because they're a team, they're the most interesting team in this draft. They have three first-round draft picks, numbers 5, 8, and 26. They have picks number 39 and 56, so two in round two. They have a pick in round three, a pick in round four. In the fifth round, they have number 153, 154, and 173. They got a pick in the sixth round, and they got three more in the seventh. They can do a hell of a lot based on where they are, if they want to move up, if they want to move down, if they pick a quarterback, it's going to start this whole like domino effect. They're the most interesting team in this year's draft. I want to talk with you a little bit about them and kind of pick your brain on what you would do if you were running the Miami Dolphins after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadeerShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, as we return, uh, heading, uh, okay, let's see. You're on the clock right now. You are Mike Abadeer, but you're actually named Chris Greer, and you're the, uh, the GM of the Miami Dolphins. You have the fifth pick coming up. And let's say at pick number one, the Bengals took Joe Burrow. Pick number two, the Redskins take Chase Young. Uh, the third pick, um, Lions go with Kuda. And the Giants take an O-lineman at four. So pretty pretty formful what a lot of people think might happen with the first four picks. So you're the Dolphins. You're at pick number five. You have two more first-round picks. And you have a total of 14 picks in this draft. Are you going to start and just try to... Fill in best player, best player available. Are you going to go O line here? Are you going to go defense, or is this where you look up and you go, you know what? We've got Fitzpatrick for a year. Maybe we take a swing on someone like Tua. What do you do if you're the Dolphins here? Okay, what I would do, I'm Greer. I'm calling up Cincy to try to talk them into a package where I can take Joe Burrow. And you have the assets. Now, you your hypothetical says that, that, you know, he's already been taken. He's already but off so, the Okay, so when we, and we can go backwards. So we, let's, let's play the two. Let's play both games. So that, that's, your, that's your option one is that you, you're not even going to – you're going to get on the phone before Cincinnati makes their pick. And you're going to say, hey, look, basically, what do you want? Right? Because you, exactly you, right. you pretty much have it to offer. Look, think, think of it this way, man. The, outside of the Mannings – there's not been a first overall pick that's been a quarterback that's gone to a Super Bowl in the 2000s. That's out of Peyton and Eli. First overall pick as a quarterback, gone to the Super Bowl. In addition, only, it's less, I should say, than 20% of first-round quarterbacks have lasted more than three years in the NFL. So regardless of who it is and how good he looks and how sexy the name is, Coming into the NFL, the odds are stacked heavily against you. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's a huge number. Under 20, it's like 18% or something like that. It lasts more than three years as a starter in the league. I, I don't think I said the word starter. As a starter. So you're either out of the league or your clipboard holder the rest of the way. Uh, so Cincy has a big decision to make. They have to be absolutely sure that Joe Burrow is the guy to take them to the next level. And if he's, and if if he's not, not, then, then uh, they could probably get three first-round picks for this year and probably another, you know, in the middle – and maybe even one from next year, like a second yeah. round pick next. I mean, they'll like, get like a three haul. first, uh, three first, uh, uh, like a, a fourth or fifth round pick, and then a second round pick for next year. That's probably in the neighborhood of what it's going to take. Now, if Burrow's taken off the board, I'm going to try to do the same thing with Chase Young because the way I look at it is, if I get Joe Burrow, then what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to build an offense now and be stacked, right? So I'm going to try to go for, you know. Give me another wide receiver. C. Lamb, because I've got three picks, right? Yeah. So, well, I, I, let me take that back. If Burrow's gone, I don't have three picks anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm going to try to build my O-line. There's The the, the draft is stacked with wide receivers. Um, so, and I'll, I'd hold off on, on a running back. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for my left tackle. I'm looking for building my O-line. I'm looking for maybe a really, really good tight end. We've seen a lot of good tight ends come into the NFL over the last couple of years. That position has taken on greater importance. So I'm going to try to build it that way. If I don't get him, I'm going to do the reverse of that. And I'm going to try to go for Chase Young. Try to talk to Washington, see if I get Chase Young. If that's the case, then I'm going to build on defense. Because the, the one thing that I, that I think is really stupid that I see teams doing is you take that one guy and then he's alone on the island and then you go back to offense. So you take like a Chase Young, but he doesn't have any support. No help. That's the one thing that the Niners did very, very smart. They're like, you know what? We're going to build with defense. And so you can come in as a rookie and have a ridiculous year because you have a lot of fellow co-D linemen lined up next to you that are awesome. That's going to make you look a lot better. That's going to make the defense look a lot better. You could contend by having a really good unit on one side and a little bit above average on the other side. So... Take it step three. Burrow's gone. Young is gone. I forget about the quarterback position for a little bit, Gino. I don't go for Tua. I don't go for Herbert. I've seen too many Oregon quarterbacks come out and fall flat. It's not a very good program historically in the NFL. I don't remember a really good one since Dan Fouts. And Joey Harrington doesn't count because he was a flop, too. He just was given a lot of opportunities to keep flopping. What I do, Gino, is I go for a sneaky pick for a quarterback, if I'm the Dolphins, who could be plugged in in a year or two because Fitz is going to take control this year and he could learn a lot from a veteran like him, I would take Jake Fromm out of Georgia. And hopefully the third round, he'll last till the third round for us. Yeah, so, you now, go, so you're Easton probably going O-line. So yeah, if, you're, if, you're, you're, if you're not worrying, worrying about taking quarterback early, like you don't love the the top Quarter, the quarterbacks here. Let's say if if Burrow's off the board. So then no. if you're if you're them, you're you're going probably like O line this early or maybe like defensive front something like that. Yeah, I mean I like Jake Fromm a lot, and it's funny because I I look at all the the rankings and Jacob Eason is ranked ahead of him uh, out of Washington, but Fromm beat him out. Yeah, that's, that's why he had to transfer funny, to Washington. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, so I think you could get like a decent quarterback later on. And uh, I would just start constructing my team and building a team. You can win with Fitz. 
Sure. Fitzpatrick can win games. Yeah. He had a nice season, and he didn't have a lot of weapons around him. In fact, his best weapons were traded away during the course of the season. Obviously, the running back was the big hit, and we saw what he did in Arizona. So that's kind of the approach that I would take, Gino. I think this is a pretty good top-heavy draft for certain positions. Take, take the best available. You said it. Take the best talent and move on. Yeah. You, you have 14 picks in this draft. Just start stacking. Don't try to get too cute if you don't have to. You know what I mean? Just, so just get get what you have. Um, a couple other interesting teams in, in the draft here are the Chargers. Because the Chargers are in a similar situation with the Dolphins in that they have someone that they could be okay with for a year. Maybe two. With Tyrod Taylor there for, for the Chargers. But are you thinking about the future now? And are you saying, hey, okay, we might be the perfect spot for someone like Tua because he's not going to be forced into play right away. The Chargers are actually going to probably, they're going to be a lot better of a team, I think, this year, even without Rivers. Like, as long as they stay healthy, they have they have a good defense. They have, you know, solid skill positions. They need a little more offensive line help. But are they the type of a team that says, hey, you know what? Maybe we can give him like a redshirt year sit behind, doesn't even have to worry about anything, doesn't have to, no pressure playing this year, and then maybe next year he's our guy. Is it is it them? Is it, you know, like, for me, it's the Chargers, the Jags, the Patriots are some of the interesting teams, I guess maybe even the Raiders, like, w- that I could see doing something weird to trade up for a quarterback or to, to maybe be looking at Atatua or, or someone like that or, or any of those teams, teams that you think might reach and, and take a shot with him. First of all, I said this last week. I, I no longer view Tua as a first-round draft pick. So I think his stock has gone down in my in my mind. I don't think that I would use a first-round pick. I don't think the value is there to do it. The problem that you're going to have if you're the Chargers or any of those other teams that you mentioned is that we know that Tyra Taylor is a decent quarterback. He's not a playoff-type guy. He's not a guy that's going to take you to a Super Bowl. Unless you have a very formidable team around you, you got like a stack. He's a 500. You're, you're 500-ish. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. So the problem you have is this. What if Tua just is damaged goods, if he's a lemon, and Tyra Taylor is not your guy for the future? What have you accomplished? No, it's a next. I would actually rather do the opposite, which is if you have your starting quarterback for the next three or four years, take the guy, groom him, and if he works out, great. There's not going to be any pressure for him to go to the game and to get into the game, as typically we've seen the first rounders have a lot of pressure. I loved the four, the most brilliant thing that the Packers did. Yep, the Rodgers Favre formula. That, that guaranteed that they were going to be relevant for 25 years. You know, 13 or 14 in each direction was, yeah, using your first-round draft pick late in the first round and having it work out with two Hall of Famers. And now you're not always going to get that lucky, but you could still follow that same game plan, which is we have Favre. If Rodgers sucks, no harm, no foul. If he's good, he'll be plugged in when we're ready to move off from Favre. And it worked out brilliantly. I don't see why more teams don't do that, you know. No. And and so, like, when you're looking, see, the, the team that would be perfect or something like that would be Tampa. Unfortunately, you know, like Tampa at, at pick number 14, they got to go align there 
and they got to be in win now mode to try to protect uh, protect Brady a little bit. Well, but that's a great point, by the way. And and Brady was the Patriots did do that with Garoppolo, by the way. They did. And they, they were set up Brady, perfectly. They knew that Garoppolo wasn't going to be uh, supplanting Brady anytime soon. They developed him. Finally, got to a point there where they had to make a decision, contractually speaking, as to do we what do we do with this guy? And that's how he ended up getting traded to the 49ers. They had to make a move within the next year, and they did so. But that was brilliant. You know, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to work it out both ways. And there may have been some politics going on there, some ego going on there. Kraft versus Belichick, we know the whole story. Not going to revisit all that. But bottom line is, I think they were trying to accomplish that. It just didn't happen to work out because Brady was still really, really good. Unlike, well, Favre was really, really good too, but they just had to make a decision. And they, they realized, you know what, if we want to have that 25-year kind of run, then we're going to have to move off from Favre. The Patriots weren't willing to do that with Brady, probably because of his relationship with Kraft. Now, though, we see that maybe they should have. And Although I don't believe in Garoppolo as a quarterback. So I guess no, no, but, but they'd be in better shape, right? But in the, better in shape the, yeah, than they are the now. The better decision would have been to move on. Because let's face it, Brady wasn't the reason that they won the Super Bowl against the Rams. No, not at all. So, and, so, so to so me, that, that was closer. It wasn't quite Peyton Manning and the Broncos, but it was halfway to Peyton Manning and the Broncos, you know, where there's a huge drop-off in production. And, um, you know, we saw last year, People think that maybe it was because of the talent around him. We'll find out soon enough, right? And see so if, with uh, t- Tampa, because he's going to have the most talented wide receiving duo in the league. We only have about a minute or two left uh, in the show before we leave. The one team that I'm, I'm, you know, real key on is like, so New England is fine with Stidham right now and, and Hoyer? Like, that's they're going to be okay? And that's who they're going to trot out there? Like, are they a type of team? If Tua drops to them. Or if he drops and he's in the late teens, early 20s, do they move up a few spots and say, hey, maybe we can get lucky and get a guy who's become like major value here, dropping all the way down because people don't know what to deal with him. He, he's just like the biggest piece in this draft that, that's, that makes it so interesting to me. He could go any – like if you told me somebody traded up and picked him two – I would say I wouldn't do it, but it wouldn't shock me if they loved him. And if he dropped all the way out of the first round, I wouldn't be surprised with either of those things happening. You know, I'll tell you something, and I know we got to run here, but if I'm the Patriots, I probably try to go after like a Jordan Love, team him up with Belichick. Who I think he's heard, I've heard that they like a little bit. Yeah, I think 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 that would be a really, really good move. Otherwise, you'll probably see the Patriots wait until undrafted free agency and uh, take somebody like uh, DeAndre Francois, who is a starting quarterback at, at Florida State. Uh, several years ago, was kind of came in with a lot of fanfare. Ended up having to transfer to uh, Hampton uh, because the coaching staff got you know axed. The guy that recruited him got axed. So um, when that happens, usually uh, your your days are numbered, uh, and that's kind of what happened to him. He had some other issues as well, but that might be like a flyer or maybe somebody like uh, Kelly Bryant from Missouri. There's there's some he's six three two twenty nine. Built like a quarterback. I think he's somebody that could see some uh, success. He might be kind of like a Gardner Minshew. But, Gino, fascinating conversation. I apologize for dominating uh, a lot of the, this last segment here. But no, you were asking some really good questions. Yeah. And uh, hopefully uh, that gave the listeners a little bit of additional insight as to kind of how this thing may play out. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, everyone. We'll get really into the draft next week. Have a tremendous, safe weekend. As always, thank you. Check us out same time, same place next week.
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.